1450 WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. It is Kale and Company, and we are proudly presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. You can call for an appointment right now, 603-225-7988, or you can do it online as well at weedfamilyautomotive.com. And ironically enough, joining me on this edition of Kale & Company is Dan Weed of Weed Family Automotive. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Count, and yourself. Oh, always great to hear your dulcet tones here on WKXL. So, I, I know that uh, you were up north over the weekend and the snowmobiling, and the conditions must have been... Terrific. Uh, we couldn't have asked for, uh, in the North Country anyway, a, a better storm as far as uh, rejuvenating the trails up there, and, and they were amazing. I got to send a quick shout out to the uh, Umbagog Snowmobile Association. They did probably one of the best jobs in grooming in the area over the weekend, and, and we're right on top of it. They did a great job. So congratulations, Umbagog and, and the club members and the groomer operators. Uh, fantastic job. I uh, can't say enough. I was able to get out uh, early Saturday morning and made first tracks Saturday morning on some of the trails nice. that had been groomed the night before. And uh, just, it's like the magic carpet ride when you're on a sled. You couldn't ask for a better situation. And, and you know of where you speak when it comes to trail grooming because you do it yourself. I do it myself yeah. in, the, in the area. And of course, you know, down here, we weren't so fortunate as far as the weather is concerned. Uh, it did give us an, an addition to our base, but we were still bouncing off some rocks and stuff as a couple of the club members posted we're missing a a piece of our drag right now <laughs> uh, oh boy. because the, the trails were still a little bit rough in some places. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we were hoping to once again to get that foot of snow or more in our area. Yeah. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, we didn't uh, materialize on that. But up north, they did. They did and yeah. the conditions are pristine uh, right now. Hopefully they will continue that way for a while longer. Uh, because it has really been a while since there have been great conditions, uh, even in that area. Yeah, you know, last year they shut the se season down early, even in the North Country. They were done by the middle of March, when typically they run till, you know, end of March, early April. Mm. Uh, so even they were had marginal conditions last year. But I would say with this particular storm, it was kind of like the icing on the cake. And pretty much from Tilton slash New Hampton North on 93, uh, in that general vicinity, they, I would say everybody pretty much got a foot plus of snow up there. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big boon, you know, not only to the snowmobiling uh, crowd, but, you know, cross-country skiing, your regular ski resorts, because they didn't have to make the snow. Right. And yeah. uh, so they had a just a banner weekend in the state all the way around. Oh, yeah. I, you know, in fact, I, I saw that uh, 93 South uh, last night at around... Uh, Six o'clock was very, very crowded. Uh, yeah, yeah, and actually earlier than yeah. that, I was yeah. fortunate enough to come back into town about 3.30, 4 o'clock. And I, I must have hit it just right because I didn't get stopped on the interstate until exit 15. And for me, it was convenient because I just zip off 15, jump, jump down Main Street and head on where I need to go. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the crowd, however, you know, there was a lot of people following me trying to make that shortcut. But you end up back in traffic just, you know, south of Hooksit, and everybody's figured out that bypass. But, yeah, yeah about 3.30, 4 o'clock, traffic was uh, come to a panic stop on the Concord Curve like it yeah. always does on a busy weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, that is for sure, especially when the conditions, the snowmobiling and the skiing conditions are uh, like they were this, this past weekend. So uh, moving on from that, it's cold, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about 
cold weather driving and people have difficulties with their their batteries what other issues uh do you have to go through during the cold well i think you know batteries is first and foremost and and our life expectancy on a battery is not what it used to be due to all the electronics that we have Uh, they've gone to a glass mat technology which helps a little bit more but still you know we're looking at a, a three to four year lifespan on a battery and the cold weather is probably one of the most challenging conditions for that battery out there that, that you could, you know, pose on it. But, you know, I think, you know, batteries first and foremost, but one thing we don't often think about is fuel. And particularly uh, gas is not so much an issue anymore like it used to be. The one, I guess, and I hate to say that benefit to ethanol, and that really hurts. <laughs> I know it does. <laughs> no, uh, knowing your feelings yeah, about ethanol. Yes. And, and we don't get the, the fuel line freeze up in the gas cars that we used to. I mean, it was nothing back in the day to keep dry gas in the car and you put a, a can in, you know, every fill up and whatnot to keep the moisture in the tank uh, to a minimum. But one of the things we don't often think about is diesel fuel. So mm. when diesel fuel gets to a certain temperature, it starts to gel up. And with the diesels, you know, I'm religious about adding, put an additive in my tank almost every time. And I ran into a situation this weekend up at camp that it got to about 15 below. Uh, the truck sat all day, you know, Friday night after I got there, all day Saturday, and then yesterday morning when I had to go into town to get some uh, fuel for the furnace, uh, started it up, let it run, let it idle, and all of a sudden it starts stalling out. I'm like, oh boy, oh here we go, oh boy. Um, so sure enough, you could hear the low pressure pump in there just screaming away because it was not happy and all gelled up. Uh, and of course, at this point, I had used my fuel additive that I had at camp to. Uh, put in the furnace tank as well uh, but so off I went onto the snowmobile went into town got some uh, power service brand 911 back to the camp and, and put it in the truck tank now I go to the same station uh, here in town but I got to talking to the guys uh, at LL Cody and Errol and they said oh yeah we get our fuel from the folks up in Canada so it's a whole different blend ah. Ah, so here here we go is you know we're talking about winter blend fuels and now all these years we've talking about gasoline and you know all of a sudden our fuel mileage drops in the winter time for for with gasoline engines for a couple of reasons first we let them sit and idle and warm up uh but b they also do a winter blend fuel and oxygenated fuel uh for gasoline now in the winter time the diesel crowd uh they offer same thing so depending on where you go they'll treat their fuel differently. So obviously, you know, further north you go, it's treated a little differently than what we get down here uh, in the center part of the state. But I would think it would be, you know, pretty much statewide that Mm -hmm. that fuel would be treated. We've, you know, I guess been lucky enough to have a old-fashioned New England winter this year. And we've had a number of mornings that we wake up and it's 5, 10, 15 below zero, uh, much like it used to be now. We didn't have our January thaw this year. It was a January freeze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that tradition continues into February at this point. So uh, one of the things I want everybody to keep in mind is if you're running a diesel car or truck, is make sure that uh, you keep a can of anti-gel in the car with you and regularly treat your fuel, uh, not knowing what they've put in the tank uh, from load to load. Mm-hmm. And it can vary. Yeah. Wow. So, do you think most people who uh, have diesel vehicles have that uh, gel in the, in the vehicle? I'm, I'm most certain that they do, and uh, I will admit that typically I carry one with me. In this case, I had treated and thought I'd be all set, uh, and obviously it didn't treat enough, so shame on me. But uh, from now on, there, there is a 
fresh can of uh, anti-gel <laughs> sitting in, yep. in the uh, storage shed at the camp. And <laughs> we'll probably have one in the truck as well if I go yeah. somewhere different. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, of course, the, the snowmobile certainly came in handy for you yesterday. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> getting uh, to the store and getting to the station and getting that uh, anti-gel. But, you know, uh, what, if, what if people were in that predicament and they, they didn't have a snowmobile? I mean, then that's... Uh, Time for AAA, I guess. Right. Uh, AAA yeah. or your, you know, yeah. your local garage. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit different culture up north, and you could probably flag somebody down driving by and hitch a ride into yeah. town. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, or you know, wave somebody down going by the trail. Uh, you know, if you happen to be right on the trail system, or phone a friend. But you know, it's not like you can call an Uber in the middle of Pittsburgh or Errol or Colebrook up there. So right, right. So what other uh, problems do drivers face in, in cold weather? I think uh, the other thing to consider, consider is visibility. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I yeah. saw so many people pulled over trying to clear their windshield off because either their washer fluid was frozen up or they maybe they ran out. Uh, so I think the good idea is if you're heading north on any type of weather, uh, make sure you have an extra can of windshield wash fluid and make sure it's good to at least 30 to maybe 50 below if you have that option. Yeah. Get, get that stuff. Don't, don't get the cheap stuff, right? right? Don't, right. don't cheap out on the, uh, the window washer uh, fluid for sure. Uh, because, you know, it isn't that expensive anyway uh, to, to begin with. Even the top of the line isn't that bad. Exactly so, right. You yeah. know, for three or four dollars so, for a gallon jug, whatever it is these days. Yeah. yeah. So it's well worth it to to buy the best, especially in this area. You know, if you're in Florida or Arizona or whatever, but uh, you don't have to worry too much about it. But here you do uh, at this time of year. So don't cheap out on the uh, the windshield washer fluid. Uh, so uh, we talked about the cold weather driving. What about the uh, last time we we chatted about the the chip situation? How that is, you know, slowing down the uh, manufacturing of automobiles due to the uh, lack of uh, the chips available, computer chips. Um, so, what uh, what's the status right now? Well, so uh, an article out of Automotive News, uh, one of the leading automotive industry newspapers that's out there, uh, came up with an interesting article, and one of the uh, statistics that really jumped out at me is uh, the chip shortage will cost the global auto industry in 2021 $210 billion in revenues and lost production on 7.7 million vehicles. Mm. And and that was uh, a statistics by Alex Partners. And so, you know, everybody seems to have a different outlook on it. General Motors, Ford, and Hyundai, according to the Automotive News article, uh, predict a near two-year chip constraint. Uh, that we're in the middle of will start to ease in the second half of 2022. But then the chip makers, on the other hand, expect it to take a little bit longer. So they're looking at 2023 and beyond Mm. before this whole chip shortage is is past us. And this parlays into not just the manufacturing side of things in the automotive industry, but we're talking about across many, many industries from, you know, boats to snowmobiles to motorcycles and on and on the list goes so but you know in our everyday world the automotive industry right now is is taken really on the chin as far as you know supply shortages and then the chip shortage is one of the big ones tesla somehow has managed to change software make some changes and hasn't been hit as hard but they've had to make some design changes or software changes within their systems to accommodate for chips that don't exist anymore. 
So they've come out of it pretty well. One of the chip makers, Qualcomm, was a little bit more optimistic. He says their uh, spokesperson said, I don't think a lot of our peers, along with us, are prioritizing the auto business and shipping as much as you can. So some different uh, outlooks from the supply manufacturers. Uh, one of the comments that I read, said or uh, saw, but that the market for mature chips crucial to the automakers would remain tight and supply limitations are far from over and will persist well into 2022. And that's from the in Infineon CEO, uh, Reinhardt Pless. So interesting to see two different perspectives. You know, the automakers are hoping that by mid to end 22, they'll start right. to see an ease on this, but the chip makers are kind of hedging their bets more towards a 23 mm. uh, before things are starting to ease up. Wow. And But Tesla has been able to make some adjustments. Now, we, we know that uh, uh, vehicles, cars, and trucks have been in, in short supply, and I also understand that snowmobiles are. Yeah, snowmobiles, yeah. motorcycles, yeah. Any, anything that you're starting to rely on electronics. And you don't give a lot of thought to even a motorcycle. You get some of the bigger uh, touring bikes, and they've got stereos and GPS yeah. and everything. Yeah. And believe it or not, a lot of the new snowmobiles now have a dash display with built-in GPS and other functions that we wouldn't have thought of before. And all these rely on chips. And now, so that's just the I call it the infotainment stuff. Yeah. But just you know, engine control modules and and powertrain control modules. Right. Your 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 heart of the uh, control system for fuel injection and everything else. Are you know some of these snowmobiles are being delivered without these substantial components in there? Uh, I talked to a friend of mine. This is now a month or more ago that he had at that time over sixty snowmobiles sitting in his warehouse that couldn't be delivered because of missing parts. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I know. I saw a feature on on TV recently the fact that uh, snowmobiles are are tough to come by now as well, uh, new ones anyway, uh, because of the the chip shortage so so why i mean where how did this all begin is this covid related or uh, well why uh, the chip shortage my, my belief is that yes it's covid related due to uh workers being sent home and being holed up at home so uh now you don't have the production staff that you need to be able to build these chips so it, it's a worker shortage which you know and, and it's everywhere so mm, you know yeah. you, you wouldn't think something simple like a pressure gauge. So there's a major company out there that makes pressure gauges for certain industries and they can't build their gauges because they can't get the raw materials to build the internal components because people aren't there to produce and build these things. Uh, everything from raw materials, mining to the steel mills and on and on the production uh, delays go. And so it's everything, it's everywhere. And, and it comes down to at this point, a major staffing shortage everywhere. And, and I would imagine as the years go by, demand for chips becomes greater and greater. Yes, no yeah, doubt. I mean, yeah. our, our electronics world and our everyday lives uh, have become reliant on, you know, electronics, whether right. it's your microwave or these new refrigerators that you can see inside and yeah. dial into your, or I shouldn't say dial in, I'm dating myself now, but <laughs> log into your refrigerator while you're at the grocery store to see what's in there. You know, every, wow, they have that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've seen pictures. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, our everyday lives have become so connected yeah. uh, and it all goes down to 
a basic microchip, you know, that controls all these processors and, you know, our, our cell phones and even those sure. folks that are, are hesitant to uh, get a smartphone, your still old school flip phone still has microchips in it and relies on that. And in the automotive world, you know, you don't give it a thought, but you jump in your car, some of the newer cars these days, and there's 10 to 20 different computers in there that rely on software, microchips, and everything else, and they're all networked together. Your newest cars are a rolling computer network, and a lot of our fixes now are module changes or software upgrades to fix different problems. You know, it always amazes me, Dan, when I get uh, into my car and uh, have uh, looking at the cell phone when it comes on, when I turn on the, the engine, uh, turn on the motor, and I, I see I'm, you know, 10 minutes away from this destination and uh, five minutes away from this destination, you know, uh, depending on the day. I mean, they, they know where I go on different days of the week. We don't need a leash on you anymore. <laughs> I, 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 no, it's, it's really amazing. How do they know these things? <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you download this app or that app yeah. and you hit yes to all the questions and it allows them to track your movements. It's all about the data, you know, yeah. and that was one of the arguments that came up, you know, not long ago is, you know, your vehicle is yours, but all the data that they collect from that vehicle, where does it go and who does it belong to? Yeah. That's the question. That That is the and question. So your cell phone is no different. You know, you, yeah. you enable that GPS in your cell phone. It, it's now data logging everywhere you go. Yeah. And they can use that to market to you in different ways. Oh, gee, Ken oh, visited boy. the Cheesecake Factory or he went to the uh, SNHU Arena for a concert or whatever it is. And yeah. now we can market to that data. It is it is amazing. I, I mean, I swear to you. I mean, if I'm having a conversation with somebody in the car, mm -hmm. you know, it, the next thing I know, uh, something related to the topic we were talking about pops up on my cell phone. Right. I, I or, mean, or a Facebook ad or something yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and not to mention uh, Alexa. <laughs> you know, I won't even talk about Alexa right now, but. But anyway, so I mean, you know, and you say that the, a car is comprised of, of how many computers per se? In some cases, yeah. 20 or more. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it is truly a rolling network. And, yeah. you know, every module talks to itself, you know, to the others in the network. So if one module goes down, the yeah. others have the capability of taking over for it. And it won't set a check engine light, but it'll set a code within the, that module. So we can go in and look at the network codes. And, you know, again, some of our work is not nuts and bolts anymore, right. but it's yeah. uh, computer network repairs. And so, so many changes in, in your industry. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, uh, how, how do you keep up with it? it it's uh, tough, I, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's getting harder and harder. And, and a lot of it comes down to information. Uh, and the information that we get from certain manufacturers is a lot more uh, open and able to come by. Yeah. And so that ties into something that's been kicked around for many, many years uh, is a, a term we call right to repair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And so recently, uh, the Illinois Democrat uh, Bobby Rush has introduced new legislation to ensure vehicle owners and independent repair shops have equal access to repair and maintenance tools as the automakers dealerships, which is huge for us. Um, and so again, this is another article from Automotive News and, and it kind of hit the headlines. Uh, now, this is nothing new in 
our legislative world, so to speak. And it's a, a battle that we've been fighting for many, many years. Of course, you know, the automakers design and build these cars. And a lot of it is proprietary information. Mm -hmm. And I, I under, understand that they want to keep that a secret, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. But your car is yours and you should be able to have the ability to take it wherever you want to be repaired, whether it's a dealer or your local repair shop like Weed Family Automotive or anybody else. But our ability to repair that vehicle is sometimes limited by the information that is available to us. And there are times we have, where we as an independent repair shop have to say, time out, I don't have the information or, or the stuff that I need to be able to fix this or repair it. Uh, there are certain modules in the car that we have the ability to reprogram uh, because we have the information available, but there are many others that we can't reprogram because that information is not available to us. We had a car in the shop last week. It was a, uh, a Land Rover, and I tried to, uh, our software that we have at the shop, I called two local companies that were not able to do it because that information was not available. So to be able to reprogram that particular module on that Land Rover, it has to go back to the dealership mm. uh, to be done. Wow. Yeah. They got you, huh? Yeah. So, the, you know, the, the legislation put out here uh, recently by Bobby Rush out of Illinois, and it's kind of interesting the way it's written, uh, and I hopefully I'll, I'll follow this and see that this goes through, but uh, introduce legislation to ensure vehicle owners and independent repair shops have equal access to repair and maintain tools as automaker dealerships. Uh, goes on to talk about some copyright law, but one of the interesting pieces of this was uh, legislation this week to ensure consumers can get vehicles, electronic devices, and agricultural equipment serviced by independent outlets. Mm. And the key there is, and this is new, is the agricultural equipment. Uh, it's a pretty mm -hmm. niche market. Yeah. And so... If you had a John Deere tractor, the only person that could service or repair or reprogram that was your local John Deere dealer. Um, and I'm sure Caterpillar and the others probably weren't a whole lot different. So now they're introducing this into the farming industry. And prior to this, the only way to repair that on your own was get somebody that was really good at hacking into a computer mm. uh, to be able to make those software changes that you needed to. But uh, then you've now violated the manufacturer's warranty. Yeah. And if they find out that you've been in there, it's all over with. Mm. Well, we want to talk more about the uh, right to repair. Uh, we will do it with Dan Weed from Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord, weedfamilyautomotive.com. It is Kale & Company right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back. Kale & Company, Dan Weed is our guest from Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. You can call and make an appointment right now. Bobby and Charlie standing by, 603-225-7988. Dan Weed is with us, and we were talking about the uh, right to repair uh, bill, uh, and uh, that was... Uh, Introduced by a legislator from uh, Illinois, I believe Bobby Rush right, uh, yes. uh, is his name, yeah. and, uh, and and that would mean uh, so much uh, for the auto repair industry. Uh, you'd be able to uh, uh, perhaps do things that you're unable to do right now because you're unable to obtain some information you need. Yes, and it would be a, a big boost for us. And on top of that, a uh, couple more representatives, uh, Mondaire Jones, a Democrat from New York, and Victoria Sparks, a Republican, from, again from Indiana, introduced separate legislation uh, dubbed the Freedom to Repair Act to reform copyright law 
to make it easier for consumers. So this goes on to say that the Public Knowledge Policy Council, Kathleen Burke, said the bill would allow consumers to repair their own devices without needing to get copyright office's permission every three years. So really they're pushing the envelope to force these manufacturers to allow the information to be out there to make the repairs. Uh, apparently President Biden is on board with this uh, and wants people to be able to repair their own products and he's making this one of his legislative priorities, which is, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and this it will be everything from your smartphone to your car to your, your John Deere tractor, whatever it takes uh, to be able to get that software, be able to make the changes to the modules, whatever it is on that electronics uh, gives you the ability to uh, download, reflash it, reprogram it, whatever you'd like to call it, mm. uh, or change the module out altogether. So it uh, seems like a lot of the uh, government agencies are on board. It goes on to say that the Federal Trade Commission uh, is working on this as well. So I'm glad to see that uh, our leadership in, in the country from the Republicans to the Democrats, right on up to the president, ha see this as a uh, bipartisan issue. And hopefully we'll see uh, an ease in information availability for the independent repairs industry. And of course, I guess the manufacturers make it difficult to uh, obtain this information to uh, benefit their dealerships. So you have to take your, your vehicle back to their dealer dealerships for repair. Right. But, you know, I think that they should also see this as a benefit to allow the independent repair industry uh, the information the more you partner with the independent repair industry, the better chances you have of, all right, maybe one day the independent's going to say, all right, sorry, this is above and beyond what we want to get into. You should take it back and see the dealership. Uh, and, and that does happen. I mean, there are certain things that we at Weed Family Automotive say, all right, time out. Your best place is, is the dealership for this. And uh, here's the people you want to go see. And you mm -hmm. can have that mutual relationship. In, in what scenario would that take place, that you tell people to go back to their dealership for repairs? Well, sometimes it's a matter of having the right tools. You know, we don't always have the uh, quantity of specialty tools. And when you got to go out and buy a thousand or more dollar tool to do a single job, yeah. uh, then, all right, you know, if we can't borrow that tool from the dealer, and sometimes you can, uh, then, all right, because of the equipment needed, then it's, you're better off to take it back to the dealer. Uh, in the case of the Land Rover, we had no option in, in that case with the software reprogramming the suspension module uh, to send it back because the dealer was the only one that had the capability of reprogramming that module. Now, with the, uh, the right to repair, and if this uh, goes through and, and becomes law, would independent shops like yourself, Weed Family Automotive, be more inclined to invest in those tools? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. You know, at that point, you know, if we've got to go out and buy that thousand dollar tool, I want to know that. All right, if I spend a thousand dollars on this particular piece of equipment, right? Uh, will I be able to service you know another four or five or, or ten cars to be able to make that investment that much more? Because yeah. I can't tell you how many tools that I've bought over the years, special tools to do yeah. certain jobs that are now obsolete, and, and some of them in a very short period of time. Yeah, I, I'm sure that uh, you know, uh, parts and equipment uh, are more obsolete on a, on a more frequent basis than ever before, if, if I can put it that way. Yes, yes yeah, most they, definitely. They, you they, know, get, they get obsolete very quickly, I would imagine. And, and some of it is you know, that $10,000-plus scan tool that you invested in just 
four or five years ago, wow. uh, they're no longer supporting the operating system or the software or whatever. And so now you've got to reinvest in another scan tool. Uh, mm-hmm. And on top of that, you know, we're talking about scan tools. In our shop, we have four different scan tools just to be able to look at computer systems in the car, not to mention uh, tools to do tire pressure monitoring systems. And like any other electronic device, you know, how often do we trade in our cell phones and whatnot because yeah. all of a sudden it doesn't work or our laptop is slower than death and you got to get a new one. Well, unfortunately, a scan tool is not a lot different these days. They have certain operating systems that have a lifespan and once that tool is outdated, uh, there is little or no avenue to upgrade it, to change it, uh, other than to buy a new one. And so every year we're spending upwards of five to $10,000 or more, in not only software subscriptions to keep these tools up to date, but on a regular basis, replacing them as we need to do to keep them uh, current. Yeah. Boy, I, I tell you, it must be uh, an, incredible to try and uh, keep up with the changes that are going on in the automotive industry these days. Well, it certainly makes our life yeah. uh, that much more interesting. And, yeah. and, you know, you're forced to learn something new virtually every week, which, again, makes makes the job interesting, sometimes frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if a week or a month goes by that you haven't learned something new in our industry um, then you're not looking you're not uh, keeping at, up to date right? as deep yeah. as you need to. Yeah. So how difficult is it to obtain information or data sometimes uh, from the, the manufacturers? It really depends on the manufacturer. Yeah. You know, a lot of our big corporations, you know, Ford, General Motors, Chrysler are pretty forthcoming. Uh, Chrysler, because they were tied at the hip with Mercedes-Benz, so it's Daimler Chrysler, um, and now, of course, Fiat Chrysler, but... Uh, Mercedes is probably one of the hardest ones to get information. Uh, you know, the other company like Land Rover, more, a lot of the European companies uh, make some of this information very, very difficult to get without paying some hefty yearly subscription fees, you know, uh, uh, upwards of several thousand dollars. Mm, interesting. Dan Weed with us from uh, Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. And you can uh, make an appointment right now at 603-225-7988, or you can do it online at weedfamilyautomotive.com. Welcome back. It is Kale & Company on AM 1450 WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. We are presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord, and uh, you can make an appointment right now by calling 603-225-7988 or online at weedfamilyautomotive.com. What else is going on, Dan, in the uh, automotive uh, industry these days? Well, we're still uh, having an inventory shortage out there. Uh, a lot of the dealerships that I drive around and see you know, start to look, the inventory levels are still way off. The prices are still really high. Uh, and you alluded to the snowmobile market earlier. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing people posting stuff for sale that they might have bought this spring uh, and are reselling it at or above what they paid for it because there's nothing out there for inventory. It's like ticket scalping, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> snowmobile scalping. <laughs> uh, and, and so we're, we see this uh, everywhere, and it would be interesting coming into the spring market here not too distant future with the motorcycles to see if we're going to see that same uh, pricing increase in the motorcycle market as well. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, somebody could buy a, a snowmobile this past spring, sell it at a premium uh, uh, this winter. And so I'm sure that's why uh, the uh, the value of used cars has gone up in, in recent months. Oh, no doubt. I've heard, you know, stories here and there and, and have uh, friends that have told me that, you know, their truck that they'd bought two years ago, traded in and got the same price that they paid for it two years ago. Uh, yeah. So and they got two years out of they it. They got two yeah. years yeah. out of it, drove yeah. it for free. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if you've got something else to move into, so to speak, uh, without paying the premium, then, then congratulations, you know, you've just hit the jackpot, so to speak. Uh, but this drives the prices, you know, all the way up through the market. You know, all of a sudden that $2,000 car is now a three or $4,000 used car. Uh, and, and we see it everywhere. You know, we see premiums on used car market, snowmobiles, uh, cars, new cars and trucks. Uh, there's, I call it, very few deals to be had. Right. Unless you know somebody uh, trying to settle in a state or something like that, friend of a friend, and, you, you know, they're willing to sell it at a reasonable price. But uh, And I, I don't see a, a short-term end to it right now. So um, I'm really anxious to see market-wide, you know, motorcycle, snowmobile, uh, boat market, to see what this is going to do in the boating market. Uh, but, you know, of course, my primary is the automobile industry, and yeah. we, we live that every day. But it seems to have carried through everywhere. And so the, the used market right now for most anything is higher than what I've seen in many, many years. Yeah. And we talked earlier, you mentioned the, the figures on uh, what manufacturers have lost in the hundreds of billions of dollars uh, already. Yeah, $210 billion yeah. and 7.7 million vehicles uh, industry-wide. Yeah, I mean, that's so, I mean, it obviously has a, a trickle-down effect on the local dealerships as yes, well. Yes, it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't help but uh, that happen. Uh, in, in the meantime, uh, sales of uh, electric cars, uh, you know, how are they? How has the electric car market been impacted? Uh, same thing, you know, Tesla yeah. has uh, managed to skirt most of it, but yeah. by making some changes in production, but the electric, there, there's more and more push every day for that electric vehicle market. Um, and a lot of it comes down to uh, emissions and whatnot and clean energy. And, you know, I guess part of me is skeptical about the, the clean energy part of it, uh, environmental costs, so to speak. Uh, one of the things I get to see when I go snowmobiling up north is the windmills, particularly around Mills Field and Dixville Peak. Uh, you see the windmills on top of the mountains, you know, beautiful mountain range, I'll call it littered uh, <laughs> by, by the windmills. But the part of it that you don't see is the, uh, I'll call it highway that was needed, to, created to get the materials and equipment to the top of these peaks. You know, it makes for an absolutely amazing snowmobile trail, mm. you know, in places 20 feet wide. But now you've cut a swath. Uh, through the woods, a uh, hundred plus feet wide to be able to get these materials and equipment up there to build the windmills. Uh, and then the power lines, the, the utility lines to get back to the grid, yeah. uh, cut through the middle of the woods. So, you know, again, uh, uh, probably a little bit skeptical on the true green part of it, you know, and, and how much of it comes at a cost. Yeah. Uh, when you put this in the middle of the cornfield in the middle of Iowa, it's a little bit different. Yeah. But in, in the peaks of New Hampshire uh, and the swath of woods that was, uh, decimated to be able to get the power back to the grid. Yeah. Uh, so is a piece of it that I don't think that everybody gets to see. 
It's not like one windmill fits all. It's not like that. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Wow. So there are a lot of them up north. Huh? Quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's uh, it, it's amazing, uh, you know, how how things differ from one area of the state of the state to the other. But uh, so. Are premium uh, car buyers going toward the electric vehicles faster than you know, like mainstream car I, I buyers? I believe so. Yeah. I, I believe you, you're starting to see it in uh, the luxury car market first. And that seems to be, I'll call it the, the proving grounds or the test bed for some of the new technology that's out there. But, you know, you've got almost every major manufacturer out there with some sort of uh, electric vehicle in their fleet and and typically multiple lines of electric vehicles, you know, so it's not just one model, you know, it's not just a, a Prius or a Chevy Volt or something like that, but they've got multiple platforms uh, in the electric vehicle segment. And, and the more they do, the better it increases their corporate average fuel economy rating, which is something that the EPA keeps pushing harder and harder for. Mm. Uh, there are statistics out there that, say that by 2035, most of our vehicles will be electric only. Uh, but that's going to require a substantial uh, retrofit in our grid system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the infrastructure, you know, to, uh, and, and why you mentioned the, the, you know, upgradings of the, the grid and, and so on, because people need to recharge these vehicles. Right. right. And right now, I mean, if, if even, what, maybe 10% of uh, vehicle owners in New Hampshire had electric cars, uh, there wouldn't be enough uh, state, uh, enough, uh, you know, uh, charging facilities to uh, to keep them satisfied. Right. Yeah. At, the, at this point, you know, you're looking yeah. at uh, infrastructure, you know, to the end user as far as charging facilities. Uh, and then how much of that can the grid handle as well at this, yeah. current, at this point? Uh, you know, do we, ha- do we need to invest in, in new power generation stations? Uh, is it a, a total grid upgrade at this point? And down to the, again, the end user is your house. You know, what, yeah. a, what age is your house and how many upgrades do you have to do to your house wiring system right. to, to make this work? So there's a lot of questions out there yet to be seen. Uh, I, you know, Tesla obviously is the one that comes to mind every time you see their charging stations everywhere they've built a network of it yeah. and there are multiple places within the state that you can go uh, to get recharged with your Tesla and so they've done a great job on that particular infrastructure for their vehicles right but for their vehicles vehicle specifically, specifically yeah. right yeah. And, and therein lies the rub is that you know are all the manufacturers going to jump on board and have a standardized charging system right yeah uh, or is everybody going to have their own and all of a sudden you're going to pull up to that and northbound or southbound rest area and you're going to have a tesla area a chevrolet area a a nissan area toyota area for for charging stations or are we going to be able to uh, have some sort of adapters or unification of the charging systems yeah and and people pay for those correct yeah Yeah, and a lot of places you pay to be able to recharge that car right it costs to build the uh, charging station it costs to put them there and it costs electricity, you know, the electricity costs off the grid as well. So in a lot of cases, yes, you pay. And even the Tesla owners, I believe it's a year or two free charging at the stations. But after that, you start to pay for it. Yeah. I see uh, Lincoln ha- has announced plans to launch uh, four new EVs by 2030. They haven't previously been in the EV business. No, they've been pretty quiet about yeah. their whole EV fleet, so to speak. Uh, General Motors recently announced that 
they're investing $7 billion into the EV uh, manufacturing infrastructure in the Detroit area. So they're going to keep uh, and maintain 1,000 jobs that exist already and another two or 3,000 new jobs they're creating uh, within a battery manufacturing facility, uh, a vehicle production facility that they're taking an existing building and, and retrofitting it just for electric vehicles. So uh, GM alone is you know, a $7 billion investment. I'm sure Ford you know, is right there behind them or beside them, if not more. And at this point, every car company is starting to make substantial investments uh, in the electric vehicle market. My curiosity would be is how much of this is being subsidized with federal grants or right. some sort of tax uh, incentive. Yes, indeed. The Green New Deal, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> As they say. Dan Weed is with us from uh, Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. It's Kalen Company on WKXL. And we will be back right after these words. 1450 AM, WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM, our new signal in the Manchester area. Kale & Company, presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord, WeedFamilyAutomotive.com, and on Facebook, and all over the place. All over the place, yeah. yeah. You're everywhere, universal. Uh, are people uh, still buying uh, standard uh, transmission vehicles? Very few. They're, we, you know, we still see them out there, but yeah. certainly, you know, it used to be, I would guess, probably a 50-50 split, you know, when yeah. I started getting into the industry and whatnot. Really? And, that high? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was really easy to get a standard transmission vehicle. Uh, yeah. And a lot of it came down to what I'll call control. You know, you could shift on your own, you could upshift, downshift, uh, and whatnot. But now... I would say probably 10% would be my guess of vehicles come through with standard transmissions. 10%? Yeah. Yeah, that high. But, yeah. but people are not buying them as much as they once did. Not like they used to. No, the, the te and a lot of it comes down to some of the technology, uh, fuel mileage. You know, again, the standard transmission, you, you typically got better fuel mileage than the automatic. Right, yeah. And now they're, they're uh, virtually the same. You know, we used to have a... A th well, what started out as a two-speed automatic transmission way, way back. Yeah. Uh, three speeds and, you know, four-speed in the 80s was a, a huge improvement. And now with technology changes and whatnot, it is not unusual to see an eight, nine, or ten-speed transmission in your average vehicle these days. Mm. Wow. So things have changed. A, a lot. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. technology, you know. One of the things that's it's been out for a while, but we call it a constant velocity transmission or a CVT, uh, which really, by ironically, is based on a drivetrain similar to a snowmobile. So you have oh. uh, two clutches and a belt. Uh, the clutches are fully adjustable based on uh, RPM and torque and whatnot, and they change. So they change the inner clutch will change dimensions where the belt rides as as so that we call it the primary. The secondary will do the same and, and adjust as speed and torque increase. Uh, CVTs have been uh, very well received and done a great job. Until now, the advent of some of these, again, eight, nine speed front wheel drive automatic transmissions. So we're starting to see some of these CVTs go by the wayside with the advent of some of the new technologies in the automatic transmission. Mm -hmm. uh, the CVT was you know, portrayed as the, the latest and greatest in the automatic transmission world. You didn't feel any of the shift points. There was no torque change. You had, you know, your instant RPM and, and uh, gear change, so to speak, but without that shift feel. And so 
that's where they've gone to the eight and nine speed transmissions. There's virtually no shift feel at all between the gears. Hmm. And the CVT was one of the first, I guess, designs to pioneer that. Well, folks, you're not going to get this kind of information anywhere else on, on the radio. So, uh, Dan Weed, we're always uh, happy to have you here to uh, talk about uh, what's going on, the latest and the greatest from the uh, automobile world. And uh, thanks so much for what you do. You're welcome. It's great to be back in the studio with you, and I uh, appreciate you guys having me in. And uh, Dan will be back one of these days in the not-too-distant future, we hope, right here on uh, Kale & Company, presented by Weed Family Automotive, conveniently located at 124 Storage Street in Concord. Call for an appointment, 603-225-7988. Or you can even do it online, folks, at weedfamilyautomotive.com.